0: Okay, guys, we're, we're in lesson nine today. We're going to talk about a bold church, um, a bold church, because what we're going to see is last week we saw in chapter four, the beginning part of chapter four, that oppression is beginning for the church. People, The Sadducees, especially the leaders of the, of the Jewish people, aren't happy with the message of uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the oppression is starting, and I want you to notice how they react to that. Now, this is, to me, blows my mind, especially when you consider how Christians today are reacting, Christians today and their reaction to what they perceive as oppression, okay? And you're going to see that there's a stark contrast here, okay, a very stark contrast and uh, something that uh, you and I should be aware of. So let's notice, first of all, we're going to see that Peter and John are released. They're going to go back to uh, the main group, and they're going to give a report. So notice with me verse 23 through 31. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. "...for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to, to heal." and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Okay, so first of all, we're going to see that they give their report in verse 23. Peter and John went to the disciples and told them what the council said. So, of course, here's what's going to happen. You've got to have a debriefing. They go back. Everybody's going to know, what happened? What happened? What happened? And Peter and John tell them, look, this is what happened. This is what the chief priests and elders, this is what the Sanhedrin said. So we see that in verse 23. Now, the next thing I want you to see that they do is, is, I think, is a testimony to us about where we should be. The next thing they do is what? Everybody know? Read, Read verse 24. What's the next thing they do? Pray. They pray and praise the Lord. Do you understand? They go immediately to God with the issue. Now, do we do that? Sometimes, but most of the time, what? No, no, we, we try to have meetings. We try to figure it out. You know, what are we going to do? The, you know, the, the authorities are telling us we can't do this anymore and we got to stop. Notice that they pray. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, their unity. Having heard the report, the disciples responded in unified prayer. So the disciples responded in unified prayer. First thing they do, which is what I need you to help you to understand, always in prayer, when you see prayers recorded in the scripture, there's always this component at the very beginning of the prayers. They acknowledge God as the one who created everything. There is always, when you see prayers, an acknowledgement of who God is and what he's able to do. Here they are praying, and they are acknowledging that he is the what? The creator. He created everything. So then, verse 25 to 28, you see that they discuss this opposition that's taking place. They present to the Lord in their prayer the opposition. But I want you to notice how they describe it, okay? First of all, the disciples reference Jesus Christ as they quote Psalm 2, verses 1 to 2. Psalm 2, 1 to 2 says this. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord. And notice they say, and against his Christ. All right, now let's stop for a moment. Go turn back to Psalms now. Go in your Bible to the Old Testament. Turn to Psalm 2. Look with me, last part of verse 2, and against the Lord and against his, what does it say there, folks? Anointed. Okay, so now what they're doing is they're taking the same verse, and it's not that they're changing the meaning, they're actually further defining the meaning, which in the Hebrew it says the anointed. Who are they thinking it's meaning? The Messiah. And here they're using the word Christ, which is the word for Messiah. So they're referencing Jesus Christ as they quote Psalm 2, verses 1 to 2. And here's, what it, here's what's going on. David predicted that opposition would rise against the Messiah. David predicted that opposition would rise against the Messiah. So David, when he wrote this, predicted that there was going to be opposition against the Messiah. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Okay. So David wrote this, oh, about 1,000 years before Jesus. Here we are, 2,000 years on the other side of Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Does the Bible predict that you as a follower of Jesus are going to be oppressed? Does it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Bruce. Yep. So why are we surprised? Why are we shocked? Going to be perfect. That we're going to bring about a new world. Okay, so the teaching that we're giving is, is that everything's going to be hunky-dory, roses, sweet, Correct. land flowing with milk and honey, Krispy yeah. Kreme donuts delivered to your door, you know. Yes. Oh, Okay, all right. You didn't hear that in your gospel presentation? Okay, sorry. Okay. Uh, but, okay, so we've got this concept that everything's supposed to be. So when oppression does happen, which is what Jesus predicted. In fact, folks, the gospel tells us Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to suffer. Jesus says you're going to suffer. Well, I've never heard anybody talk about it. Do you, you understand Why? Nobody likes to hear that, okay? So I guess what I'm trying to say to you is is that what's happening as far as the oppression of the church is not abnormal. Did you hear what I said? It's not abnormal. We think it's abnormal. It's actually what? Normal, okay? Normal, you know? Normal. All right, let's go on. So he predicted that opposition would arise against the Messiah. They acknowledge that the opposition was Herod, Pilate, the Romans, and the Jews. Okay, let me just stop. This is a great place to to make this point here. Whenever a new Jesus movie comes out, do you ever watch the uh, news shows? How many ever pay attention sometimes when they talk about a new Jesus movie coming out? And usually there'll be the Anti-Defamation League that'll come out, and and they're opposed to the movie. And the reason why they're opposed to the movie is because we Gentiles tend to point out that it's the Jews who killed Jesus, right? So they get all upset, all right? And rightfully so, rightfully so, because here's the problem. Let me ask you, who killed Jesus? Okay, Bruce says I did, okay? Who killed Jesus? Jesus. Every one of us. Everybody's responsible. Not just the Jews. In fact, Acts tells us look here, look at this verse. I think it's very interesting. Okay. Acts tells us verse 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Look at what he says here. Both Herod, who is the king at this time of a section of Israel. Pontius Pilate, he's the Roman procreator over Judea, then notice here what he says, and the Gentiles, and who else? The people of Israel. Is that everybody? Is that everybody? Yeah, it's everybody, folks. It's not just one particular group. Everybody's responsible for whose death? Jesus' death. We need to grasp that. So when you hear somebody say, well, the Jews killed Jesus. Yeah, but the... Gentiles had a pretty good hand in it too, you know. Do, 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 you, don't, do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody is responsible for Jesus' death. Now, the opposition's actions against Jesus, now here's what you need to understand. The opposition's actions against Jesus was part of God's predetermined plan. The opposition's actions against Jesus was part of his predetermined plan. Now, here's why they're bringing this up, and I think this is a good point for you and I to grasp today. First of all, (laughs) hey, is opposition taking place today with the church in our culture? Okay. So I'm going to ask you a theological question. Do you think God was surprised by that? Do You think any opposition against the church today wasn't included in His plan? Do you think that He's shocked by what's happening? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? You're smiling, Bruce. Okay. I mean, do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you? Do, okay. What's God's plan, first of all, folks? Anybody know what God's plan is? Huh? That all will be saved. Well, that everyone will have the opportunity to be saved. Okay. But what's ultimately God's plan? America to be great again? You said it, the second coming. Folks, let me tell you something. God couldn't care less about America and what its its thing. Couldn't care less about Russia. Couldn't care less about uh, what Africa's doing. Couldn't care less about how big China's getting or whether or not they'll get smashed down or whatever. God's not interested in that. God's ultimate plan is his plan of Jesus Christ returning. And part of that plan is the redemption. Here's the hard one. The redemption of a group of people. What group of people? Israel, the Jews. Do you understand? Everything in the scripture points to that. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. So in God's plan, do you think he counted on the fact that there's going to be opposition to believers? Okay, you need to understand that nothing happens outside of God's plan. God's plan already figures that in. Opposition to believers is part of what's going on. Why do you think Jesus said, "If you follow me, you will suffer"? Why do you think he said, "They'll drag you before authorities. They'll oppress you." Here's what those he said even this in the gospels. They'll think they're doing God a favor by getting rid of you. Now, haven't we heard those kind of things already? You know? So the point is, is what I want you to see here, the opposition against Jesus was part of God's predetermined plan. He's making that point here. That's what they're praying. So now, here's what I want you to notice that blows me away. So here they are, they're acknowledging, you're in control, God. There's this opposition, but this opposition was already, you already knew about it, Lord. You already figured it into your plan. Here's what they ask God to do. And this blows my mind because this is so opposite of where we are today. Today, we're told, you need to fight. You need to stand up for yourself and take back what, you know, isn't that what we do? I want you to listen what they pray. Now, if anybody needed to stand up, it's these folks because they were facing death. Do you understand? They were facing death. Their culture is a little bit different. But look at what they ask. Verse 29. The disciples asked the Lord to grant them boldness to preach the gospel. First thing they say is, God... Give us boldness to keep preaching, to keep sharing our message. What's the message? That Jesus Christ is alive, to share the gospel. Give us boldness to keep sharing the message. That's amazing, isn't it? Okay? They're asking for boldness where some of us would be like, oh, well, how can I just quietly slip away? You know what I'm saying? They're asking for boldness. And then here's what they're asking. What else they're asking here? The disciples ask the Lord to do great works in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what they're doing. God, give us boldness to preach your word. And then God, you validate your word by showing yourself mighty in people's lives. That's what they're asking. Stop for a moment. Are we asking God to do that? The problem is, is we're not. Here's what we need to be asking. God we're facing this opposition to what we believe show yourself as being mighty and validate what we're saying to these people show yourself to them did you understand what i'm saying show yourself do great things that they could see yeah that was god did you understand what i'm saying that's that's that to me is amazing that's what they're asking here that's that's their response to the opposition. How are we doing? How are we doing, guys? Because that's how the early church responded. How are we doing? Okay. Okay, alright, that's good. Good. Anybody else? How are we doing? Alright, now listen, sometimes you can say, Oh, well, that's just their crazy prayer, George. That's got recorded. They just don't understand. They're not enlightened as we are. Okay? Well, and I know that sometimes we can pray for things that aren't right. Is that does everybody agree with that? Okay. But let's say you pray for something. And God validates it. Like, yes, you're praying, and you're praying for the right thing. What do you mean validated, George? Well, here's what happens. The next verse tells us as they pray, the place shook. (laughs) As the place where they prayed shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think that's a validation? Like, you're praying in the right way? The place shakes. Now, if the place shakes here, some of you are going to get freaked out. See, it's falling down. We've got to get out of here, okay? But, uh, but they were filled with the Spirit. Why? Did they not just ask to be given what? Boldness? Did you see what I'm saying? God validated what they wanted to do, which was what? Continue to spread the message. Continue to spread the message and to show God mighty in their lives. Now... Okay, this is a good report. So what happens? So what we're going to see now in verses 32 through 37 is we're going to see this bold church. So notice with me verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of, of, of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as everyone had need. And Josie, who is also named Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so let's talk about the unity in ministry now. So the church was marked by a willingness to share and a unity of heart and mind. So this is, here's the thing. Some people look at these verses, oh, they're talking about Christian communism. No, they're not talking about Christian communism, okay? What they are talking about is this. People cared about people so much that they weren't selfish with their stuff, so that if they saw that somebody had a need and they had the means to take care of them and to help them, they did what they had to do. If it meant selling something, they sold something, and they brought it so that that need could be met. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a really good attitude, isn't it? That's not communism. That's simply responding to the leading of the Spirit to help other people out, okay? So they were willing to share, but they also had a unity of heart and mind. They had a unity of heart and mind. What was the basis of that unity, folks? What was was the basis of that unity? Yeah, Jesus Christ was the basis of that unity. You understand, what unifies us here at our church is what? Politics? Holy cow, especially this election season. That would not unify anybody because people will get upset about that and, okay, you got passions about it. That's okay. But that's not the basis here. How about football? Do you think that would unify us? A majority of you are Steeler fans, but we have the fringe people. Yes, spoken like an eagle's man, okay. <laughs> do you know, know what I'm saying? And, and, of course, there's that occasional person that shows up with a Dallas shirt on. Where, where did they come from, okay? Do, do you understand? Those are not the basis of our what? Labor issues, right? That's not the basis of our unity. We've got people who are for that and people who are definitely against that. And then there's the, the third group, I don't care. There's the I don't care group, Right? Okay? Here's what I'm saying. The unity that we have in our church is not a political leaning. It's not a sports leaning. It's not even an ethnic leaning or anything like that. It's what? Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus. Okay. So this church was marked by a willingness to share in a unity of heart and mind. The apostles proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ with great power and grace. They proclaimed. They kept proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, folks, that's got to be the central message of why we're here. The central message of why we're here isn't families. The central message of why we're here isn't because we're anti-abortion. The central message of why we're here is, is not this issue or that issue. The central message is one thing only. Jesus Christ is alive, period. Do you understand? That has to be our central message. And that people have to come to Jesus in order to be saved from their sins. Do you understand? That's our message. That was the message of the apostles. And they proclaimed it. And guess what? They had great power and grace. Why were they able to do that? Because the Holy Spirit was with them. Okay? Holy Spirit was with them. So no one in the church lacked as others were willing to share what they had to meet needs. So there weren't desperate people in this early church because people were willing to make sure that everybody was taken care of. So then finally, here's the example. So he gives the example of one guy. His name is Josie. I guess in Spanish it would be Jose, okay? But he is from the island of Cyprus, so he's part of the diaspora. Diaspora means the, the Jews who were spread out because of the different captivities. So he's from the island of Cyprus. He's from the tribe of Levi. And this guy is commended for selling his land and giving his money to the apostles. Let me just stop for a moment. Giving money to the apostles is not like giving monies to some folks today in Christian circles. The apostles didn't benefit from it. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 6. They distributed that money to who? others who needed it. And that's why he gave that money. So we're going to see here that a guy who is doing what everybody else is doing is commended, okay? Now, this is going to set the stage for our lesson next week. Because even though you've got a great church and a bold church and they're doing great witness, do you think there's problems in the church? So we've got opposition, they're responding the right way. Acts chapter 5 is going to tell us that there's still a problem with Christians and that's this, they're human beings. They're human beings and so they struggle with things and we're going to see that next week.